Our sin is terrible. And God's grace and his love is amazing. Trouble with this. Sorry about that, guys. You guys can kind of test the, the mic. Oh, Father, we thank you for your mercies. And we pray for our hearts right now that are so prone to wander, but we know that we are sealed by your doing. And it is not us who are hanging onto you, but you who hold us. And what powerful safety there is in your mighty hand that is saved and continues to save and will cause us to raise at the resurrection, Father. We rejoice in the safety of knowing you, your son, crucified for us, for your glory and for our good. Tonight, as we peer into your word, as we have been just brain, as it has just washed us and we have heard it, may it convict us. May we be reminded of the cross tonight, Lord. Lord, we know that we come with so many different things and just life stuff happening in the background. Family members dying, loved ones struggling with each other, friendships broken. We know and acknowledge that we live in a world that is tainted and wrecked by sin, but you, God, are redeeming your people. Oh, Father, in all humility, we just, we sit before you and we give thanks with our hands over our mouths in awe that you forgive sinners. So, Lord, we pray for your help tonight as we ponder and reflect on the cross. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. The cross, tonight is about the cross. It is about our sin and the cross of Jesus. It is him and his doing that has cleansed us of our sin because of the terrible cross, the cross that was rugged and harsh for the skin to be up against and to be pierced. And the day that Jesus was crucified, when it should be light, it became dark. And tonight we're going to take a few moments to actually look at some of those things and observe some things in the text, in the Word of God, and we'll bring those to light. And this is one of the major things that we will see tonight, that Jesus, the innocent one, dies for the guilty. Jesus, the innocent, dies for the guilty. And this is what it says in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, starting in verse 26. And as they led him away, they seized, excuse me, wrong page. It was in verse 44 of chapter 23. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness 
over the whole land until the ninth hour, which is about 12 to 3. Imagine, Luke points this out. And maybe we don't totally understand why he points, well, what's going on, because he actually doesn't totally explain what's going on. But we can infer that it is dark because it is the darkest hour on the planet. Jesus, the Son of God, the one who has existed in all eternity in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, is being crucified by his creation. And yet, it is not them that take his life, it is him who gives his life for his people. But it is one of the worst events that to ever occur, and yet one of the most wonderful and glorious events to ever occur. It is terrible and it is good. Because his own people are betraying him, how dare we look to God and kill his son? And yet that is what had happened. When it should be light, it became, Luke records, it became dark because it is ominous and it is a dark moment in history, and yet it is a glorious one for God. And then in verse 45, it says, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. In the Old Testament, as I think every one of you are aware, that there was a great divide between God and his people. His holiness and the sin that had come into the world and wrecked all of humanity and stained it and bent every part of them towards sin. And so that they could not have a relationship with him or friendship, to step into his presence would kill you, would kill us. And so there is a divide. And so in the Old Testament, as God created this place of worship and meeting with God, as he's redeeming and rescuing his people out of Egypt and then setting a way to worship and commune with him, he creates a place that is holy and sacred where they can come and yet, there needs to be a divide between man and between God because they cannot, we cannot bear to be in his presence because it will kill us. And so by God's very instruction and his mercy, he has them create a curtain that's very thick and able to just keep a barrier between God and man. And they, out of, out of obedience and listening to God, they, they make this barrier in the, among the Holy of Holies and they have this curtain there. And on this particular day, when Jesus is crucified, the curtain temple is torn in two. And Luke points this out as well. Because something wonderful is happening between God and man in these moments, those that he has saved. And that is that God is restoring relationship between God and his, and, and his people. So that now that we can enter into the Holy of Holies, now there is something taking place so that we can have a relationship with him, and it's through the man, Jesus Christ. So not only was it dark, not only was the, the, the veil torn in two, but then Jesus called out with a loud voice and said, Father, unto your, your hands I commit my spirit, and then he breathed his last and said, and then he breathed his last. 
It's really interesting when you read commentators, they say when people are crucified, they do not, are not able to actually cry out like that. And yet Jesus does, and Luke records it, because it happened. And, and we really don't know what to say about it, other than it is God himself being crucified, the Son, not the Father, but Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, and he is able to cry out and in such a way where he's saying, I do this, they don't take my life, but I give it. And he does it on public display for all to see and hear. And he breathes his last. And Jesus, he dies. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man innocent. Isn't it curious that a centurion, a soldier, one there to oversee his, his death perhaps, he cries out in praise to God, proclaiming the innocence of Jesus for all to hear and all to see. Now when you're reading Luke, and as you heard tonight, one of the things that's going on is Luke is making an incredibly big deal out of the innocence of Jesus. Because in chapter 23, verse 4, then Pilate said to the chief priests and to the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. And then again, starting in verse 18, the same type of thing goes on again. But they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they, they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. And a third time he said to, said to them, why, what evil has he done? I find no fault in him, no guilt deserving death. I'll simply, I'll punish him and release him. Luke is hammering out the reality of what had happened, that we have this amazing contrast between an innocent and the guilty. Jesus, who is pure and done nothing to deserve being crucified. And then a guy who has caused uh, rebellion and is a murderer, and the people are crying out to let him out. And I tell you this, brothers and sisters, we are him. You see, Jesus is the innocent, and we are the guilty guilty. And when you read over this, it's really easy to just pass over it and say, isn't that weird? They release the guy. It's like cultural. It's like weird. Like what, what's going on? It is a parable for all to hear and see as they see this taking place that the innocent is killed and the guilty is set free. And that is our story. That Jesus, the innocent, was crucified for us and the guilty, who is us, is set free. And our chains fell down, and we're able to cry out to him, Abba, Father. We don't normally think of ourselves as guilty, but we, maybe a better word is, we were. Because I tell you this, that if you have put your trust in Jesus, as the ones that are sitting here tonight know, that you were guilty, that you were a sinner, but you are no longer a sinner, you're a saint. But we were the murderers. 
We were the adulterers. We were the fornicators. We are, were the liars. We were the rebellious. We are the ones that cause trouble. We are the ones who, who deny God and raise up idols. And we know that we have that inward struggle because of sin. But let me remind us again that Jesus, the innocent, has died for the guilty and set us free. And that's us. We have been set free. And it's all because of the death of Jesus. And tonight we take just, you know, an, an hour together and we remember his death, the brutal death of Jesus. When we leave here tonight, even though we are res we were people of the resurrection, we leave here tonight re reflecting on the crucifixion of Jesus, looking toward the hope of Sunday of his resurrection. And it will feel like a dark night as we go through this season. But I think it's a, a great discipline to go through. I think we should consider his death every single day as saints of God and his resurrection. But during this season, we especially can ponder the fact that Jesus, the one who did nothing wrong, who lived the perfect life, and at Branches we say it over and over again, he lived the life that we could not live, and he died the death that we could not die. He did it for us. And then we come here with all kinds of different things going on, struggles and, and sin, and some sin we talk about and some, and some we don't. And I want to encourage you, if you feel shame and guilt and struggle and you feel stuck, I, I, I want to tell you that you've been set free by Jesus. And maybe you need to hear that tonight. That Jesus has set you free and he paid the price for you. And so if you are wallowing and struggling with guilt and shame, remember that Jesus did it for you. You cannot cleanse yourself, but Jesus does it for you. Remember the innocent for the guilty, which is what we were. And then listen to what's happened next in the passage. In verse 48, and all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things from a distance. Could you imagine how horrified they were? I mean, they're at a distance. They're not up close because it's horrible and hard to see. But it probably does not feel, nor was it safe for them to be close. Peter himself was denying him when people were saying, hey, weren't you one of them? They were scattered and confused. And how can this be? My Lord is being killed. Even though he had explained it to them, no one was really getting it. No one was quite understanding what was to come. And now they're there in bewilderment. And yet, in just a little while, they will see a resurrected Jesus. And I tell you this, that is who we have, is a resurrected Jesus. 
to know we ponder these things deeply, and I encourage you, as you when you exit from here tonight, that you would ponder it and reflect on it massively, the death of Jesus, because of our sin, because of my sin, because of Israel's sin, he was crucified. But he forgives me, and he loves me, death of Jesus, the innocent for the guilty. We were the guilty ones, but Jesus loved us and embraced us anyway. As we head toward Easter Sunday, ponder these things. In just a moment, we are um, together, we're coming to the Lord's table. And we will sing. But Jesus has instituted this physical thing, because we are physical creatures, to experience the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of Jesus. And he told his disciples that when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. We remember the death of Jesus with these elements. This night is set aside for remembering the death of Jesus. And when we do this, we do this in remembrance of him. So when you come, come and remember his cross.